0: Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features George and Casa Harrison, owners and operators of Harrison Home Systems. George Harrison gained years of industry experience in the Colorado mountain resort towns. In 2002, George founded Harrison Home Systems, a high-end custom electronics design and installation firm specializing in cutting edge home automation. In 2007, Casa, his wife, joined the business and brought her experience in marketing and PR. Together, they have grown the company over the years and currently manage a team of 27 employees. Harrison Home Systems specializes in the custom residential market in Denver and the surrounding areas. The company was named the 2021 CTA Smart Home Integrator of the Year by the Consumer Technology Association. They also received other industry awards in 2020 including CE Pro Integration Home of the Year and a Lutron Excellence Award. We live streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, December 15th, 2021 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed how EOS entrepreneurial operating system has made a positive impact on the company, vital management, and systematically reviewing financials with set goals, and the importance of marketing and original photography for an integration firm. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Let's tune in to the interview with George and Casa Harrison. Hey, guys. Hey, Ron. Hi, Ron. <laughs> good to see you. Uh, good to see you. You guys are coming in clear. You sound crisp. Where are you coming to us from?
1: We are in Lakewood, Colorado, at our office, our new showroom.
0: Lakewood, Colorado. So help us out. So for us geographically challenged people like myself, is that how is that Denver? Is that a suburb or where does that sit to the big city of Denver? We're, we are about
1: a thousand yards from the Denver city limits. Um we are on what's called Sixth Avenue, a small highway that comes into Denver, about five minutes from downtown. So we're really close. Um, oh goodness. Yeah, so uh pretty central. Um in a, in a building we acquired two years ago that we're building out and, um, almost done, but, uh, really a great location for us, an area we always wanted to be in and got lucky and found a spot right where we had always hoped to find one. And so we're, wow. we're close to Denver.
0: So when you go, so CEDIA, I, I always love my CEDias that take place in Denver. Uh, how close in proximity is your, your business to the, say the Denver convention center?
1: Yeah. Like literally if there was no traffic, it's probably a five to seven minute drive to the uh, convention center.
0: Hey, we're Straight just, west of just west of downtown. Just west. And is that where the convention center, is that called downtown? Cause I know there's all those yeah. great restaurants and shops.
2: Yeah. yes, downtown
0: right in the middle of it all. So we're okay, close. Now, where, where do you, do you live then far out of town or where do you guys actually live?
2: We live a little farther west um, in the sort of Genesee area. It's a gold. It's golden, but it's in the foothills. So we live so, up high. We're
1: just almost eight thousand feet. So we drive down into the city. It's about a fifteen minute drive every morning, and so also close, but our elevation changes significantly.
0: So I think my house here in Fort Lauderdale, officially according to my plot, uh, sits at ten feet above sea level. <laughs> <laughs> And if I want to go to the foothills of South Florida, I will go to the local trash dump. And I think that sits at about 60 feet above sea level. And you guys are at 8,000 feet above sea level. Just about, just about. but yeah. no moisture. So enjoy what you have. Don't you have to cook food differently when you're at that altitude? Doesn't, isn't there a temperature? Yes. Water a, boil at a different temperature?
1: Yeah. Yes. At 10,000 feet. Uh, Uh, I think planes are required to have pressurized cabins. So yeah, it is up there a bit. (laughs) Fun fact.
0: That is a fun fact. So you almost have to walk around day to day with like oxygen masks on.
2: (laughs) You you adjust. Your body adjusts. (laughs) Your body adjusts. Okay. So
0: help our audience understand a little bit just about the business. And then we'll go back in time. Like I always like to do with our guests. Um, Help us understand Harrison Home Systems. What type of projects do you do? Where do you do them? And then also, I'll, I'll just tee up with the next question, uh, George. What's your role in the business? And Casa, what's your role in the business?
1: So, um, we are about to hit our twenty-year mark in twenty twenty-two of being incorporated. Kind of loosely started things in two thousand. We can talk about that uh, later, but you know, we're about to hit our twentieth anniversary. We're currently at about 27 employees. And we focus on single family luxury homes. And then we have another niche that we've done really well in uh, luxury condos specifically, not apartments, but just uh, high end residential condos. We've had a lot of success in the last few years in Denver. So we do very little commercial, although we've done a few hotels and a few boardrooms and restaurants over the years, we've just evolved to a point where we really want to be really good at what we do best, and train our team to focus and really excel uh, at the art of, you know, integration and um, in the high-end luxury space. And so that's, you know, that's where we are now. And I don't see that model changing. It's what we do best, and what our team loves to do and are passionate about. And and so I am, um, you know, the kind of the rainmaker. We have a sales team now, though, and 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 they're doing great. But I focus on. Finding new opportunities and uh, educating builders and architects, and you know the the traditional ways in which the luxury residential business I think is done best. That's my focus um, and oversee, you know, uh, big picture stuff. We've got a great a great team that really handles handles things well. So I've, I've finally been able to kind of focus on my you know on my highest and best use, which is. Going out and talking to people and finding out what's going on, and so that's my role uh, in the business. I'll let Cassidy describe hers.
2: And my role is the director of the finance department, um, all of the financials, uh, HR, the administration, um, and then I also have kind of a side a side role as a marketing coordinator. Side hustle and marketing. Side right. hustle, yeah. <laughs> I dabble in the sales department. So. <laughs>
0: George, I I want to uh, you 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 mentioned something, and I'm I'm I empathize or feel for the comment around you were historically the primary rainmaker, and now you have a sales department. Is this the idea that others in the company are producing sales? Is this something that's evolved just recently in the last few years over your your you know the full life of your business?
1: Precisely it's, and it's been, it's been fantastic. We've got a couple of, a number of people that are able to, uh, generate, but I have two primary full-time sales guys that are just great people, good friends and have absolute, this year in particular has been amazing, um, what they've accomplished and I've watched them grow into the role and they already, they're both industry veterans in their own respect. Um, but boy, is it nice to not have 100% of the pressure on my shoulders? I mean, it's been transformative for me in particular, because it's freed me up to do the things on the kind of higher end business development, long-term strategy, uh, and other um, aspects of the business that I was just, you know, clearly not freed up to do. And so, yes, in the last couple of years, we've been able to really help them grow. And it's been stunning, um, their effectiveness and the way in which they've achieve their goals. And so, yes, it's been great to have a sales team. That's something new in the last wow. four months.
0: That's amazing. Casa. I- I'm gonna help, I'm gonna brag for you because I know that you guys don't like to brag for <laughs> yourself. So I'm gonna brag for you guys. You were the 2021 CTA Smart Home Integrator of the Year. I don't think it gets any bigger and badder than that. <laughs> and uh, let's say by the Consumer Technology Association, and you've also received many awards, including in 2020, you were the CE Pro Integrated Home of the Year, and uh, you were a winner of the Lutron Excellence Award. So this, is, this sounds like a, a lot of hardware you guys are pulling in here in the last 24 months. How, how, did it, how did that happen? I mean, I know people are listening and they're going, my goodness, one day I would aspire to do such things.
1: It's a 20-year overnight success, Ron.
0: Yeah, no, I I want (laughs) to learn about it. Like, how do you, Kassa, like, how do you feel about getting that type of recognition?
2: Oh, it feels like, you know, all of our hard work is paying off. Um, And I think, you know, as far as, you know, entering the awards, because obviously you have to enter the awards. That is a requirement in order to win. You have to enter to win. You know, as we've grown and... I mentioned that I kind of dabble in the marketing side. I have had more time to focus right. on those kinds of big picture activities. Um, whereas I was always kind of in the, you know, in the weeds before. Um, so, and I do have a PR background. So it was, first of all, having, finally having a good story to tell and really high quality projects to show off um, and also having, you know, the capacity to, right. to do it so uh, during 2020 i did a lot of writing at home from my desk during covid
0: (laughs) right i i i I think that those awards and that hardware it it is certainly a testament to your side hustle paying off (laughs) because that's that's quite impressive uh indeed all right but let's let's go back in time maybe casa will well actually george we'll, we'll start with you um how did you get into this crazy business? And then, you know, Costa? I want to hear the the same for you. Okay. All right. I'll give
1: you the abbreviated version because it's a long and winding road. So I'm from Philadelphia originally. Um, my mom left, escaped, we like to say, Philly in 1978 and went straight to the little town of Telluride, Colorado. You may or may not have heard of. Um, it's really uh grown into a, you know, kind of like
0: a... It's kind of a big deal now. Like, I, yeah. I know that name, but maybe in the 70s it wasn't. Oh, no, it was still lawless when we moved there. And we got <laughs> There's this. still like a local sheriff, like controlling the the people that would ride in on, on horses. And uh, I, could tell,
1: I could tell you stories that would, would make your head spin back in the day. Um, okay. But it's great. It's a it's it's a wonderful place. I mean, it truly is. And so talk about a juxtaposition of, of uh, you know, a contrast so you know, in 1978, she moved out. Next year, she brought me and my sister out. I was in third grade. I was like, this is sweet, you know, straight from the city to this hippie town and Telluride. But you know, it, it played a role uh, eventually. Um, so I was back and forth in grade school between Philly and Telluride. Um, didn't like Telluride as a kid because it was just such a contrast, such a shock to the system. But having been there, I got to see what you know, the luxury residential environment was in a very early age and didn't think it would play any role in, in my future. Um, so back and forth as a kid, moved back in eighth grade and we got, my dad got transferred from Philly to new Philadelphia, Ohio, the middle, you know, 20 minutes South of the football hall of fame, middle of nowhere. Um, but I went to high school there and two years of college. Um, but I went to Votech school my second two years and didn't have a clear path to college at that point and went into the industrial electricity program. So essentially I was going to be an electrician and didn't think that would hold any relevance later in my life. But I did really good, I get total nerd, two years perfect attendance, got a bunch of scholarships and ended up going to a technical college for two years. And then realized I wanted to go to a more traditional four-year college and transferred to Kent State. And in 92 um, decided, what am I doing in Ohio? I want to go back to Colorado. I was I had a quick uh, snowboard instructing life in Cleveland of all places, a 500 foot vertical. Uh, Cleveland,
0: Ohio uh, has yeah, ski
1: instructors. It, I mean, you would never. I was a big uh, skateboarder as a kid, so I would competitive okay. skateboarder, and so naturally, snowboarding made sense. I went to I was a skier in grade school. Anyway, um, moved back to Colorado to gain residency to transfer to CU. Um, so I was there for a year, but that first year. At the hotel I worked at, the manager, my manager had a business partner and they brought their AV company from New York City to Telluride. Um, And so I was working for them part time. They were like, you know about, you know, pull wire and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah, ironically, I know a little bit about that. It's totally random. And so I worked part time for this AV company and it happened to be in the biggest hotel in Telluride at that time. And it had 20 penthouses. On you know, at the top. So I was working in these penthouses in 92, back when Zantec IR repeater systems were all the rage. Mm. And that's where I got my fundamentals. And I knew signal flow from my Votech training. And so it just kind of all worked from there. Fast forward till 99, when Cassie rolled into town and met her, <laughs> I had been in the industry for eight years and realized I love this part of my life, even though I was bartending and being a ski bum, in tandem with that, but that's where, foundationally that's where I got my my start. And then Cassie came into town, I met her, she was just there for the summer. And I decided out of respect for my boss, I didn't want to compete against him in a small town. So I decided to start my business in 2000, but in Crested Butte, uh, another ski mm-hmm. town a few hours away. Was there for a year, realized it wasn't the right environment to start. And so I moved back up to Boulder. Um, and that's kind of really when things started. Um, and then for there was slow, organic growth, typical story of the installer trying to become a business owner, not knowing what the hell he was doing, um, you know. And so that's really when things started, I think, in two thousand.
0: Did uh, you was the business you started in two thousand? Was it Harrison Home Systems? It's the same business you have today.
1: It was. Now I didn't incorporate until two thousand two. It was pretty. It was pretty loose and casual, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. I don't
0: think the IRS is l- listening There me. wasn't
1: much revenue to report. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty low risk.
0: <laughs> pretty low uh, risk.
1: But it's a great, you know, for me, it's a great story looking back. Um, and then fast forward, I'm sure I'm skipping a few things, but, you know, fast forward to 2007, and that's when Casa decided she wanted a, a career change and, uh, you know, kind of took a, a step back and you saw that I had a need. I was growing it. And that's where you jumped in. So maybe you could tell your story
2: from there. (laughs) I'm a Colorado native and went to CU Boulder, uh, where I met a whole host of friends who had grown up in Telluride. Um, So that's why I ended up there for a summer after graduation, just to kind of, you know, try to figure out what I wanted to do and play for a little bit. Um, And I met George. Um, For better
1: or for worse for
2: better or for
0: worse <laughs> Were you did you go to snowboard lessons is that how you met him <laughs> no we met
2: in i was summer, i, I was waiting tables <laughs> and we okay. met at a restaurant <laughs> that's awesome introduced by me i
0: met my wife in a restaurant
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i was an international affairs major in boulder which i have not Done anything very related to that? Um, after I I came back, it didn't last long. until tell you right, I decided it was time to get serious and get a job. And um, so I came back up to Front Range, Denver area, and I started um, my career in public relations. And I actually spent about eight years doing that in various various capacities. I worked for an agency. Um, and then I was a independent consultant. I worked for, um, my main client was Coors Brewing Company at the time. And that offered me all kinds of big opportunities that I might not have had otherwise, just big budgets, was traveling all over the country. Um, did, I did some events with the NFL NFL. and, um, I was actually focused on the what we call now the Latinx market. Um, And so totally unrelated, but I um, ended up, you know, at the time that George, his, the revenue of the company was able to support more people than just a couple of installers. I happened to be at a point where I was ready for a change. I was again, traveling, you know, to the major markets all over the country and we wanted to start a family. We wanted to settle down. Um, so I decided to make the jump and I joined the business in 2007. Was that scary? It was scary. And (laughs) my parents and even some of my extended family were like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You shouldn't leave your good job to start in this industry that we don't understand. And, um, (laughs) So anyway, um, 2007, so we were on a, on a growth path, but still very small at that, at that point. Um, and it was, you know, quickly followed by the 08 downturn.
0: Um, you had to like think, hmm, this was perfect timing. Yeah, it was yeah, perfect timing. It was good timing. Um,
2: but we actually were positioned well because we had a foot in the door in the mountain markets. And we were a small, nimble alternative to some of the established companies up there at the time and you know when I think people were looking for value even even on the high end people were looking for value because it was it was a scary financial time um we even had clients say to us you know the market will never be the same it will never it will never recover I remember them saying that, which was not very good. These (laughs) these were our
1: Aspen clients and Telluride clients. So we we were still supporting, we were doing a lot of work in Aspen and Telluride, even from our golden location at that point. And so we were the, you know, it was easy. We didn't have the uh, overhead of uh, the local guys, the big guys. And so it was, you know, we were able to grow our business during the recession because we were the, you know, let's call it what it is, the value option in the, in those towns. And so we didn't know that that would happen, but that was how we were able to sustain and continue our growth path. Um, so luck of the draw, I guess. In that. So, in that
0: eight to 10 time period, you didn't shrink, you grew. We grew. We grew,
1: we grew which was pretty
0: amazing. Got it. And then yeah. uh, bring us to the present, Casa.
2: So, after the market started to recover um, in Denver, and we had had a couple of kids by that point um i think george got very very tired of being away um i like to say
1: i I got tired of driving to aspen a very first world problem even that became a grind
2: it it is
0: a very first world problem but nonetheless nonetheless a problem
1: right especially in the winter and we had kids and i you know i wanted to tuck my kids in bed and that didn't happen for a couple of years when i was up there for a long big you know we did big projects up there long long duration so um
0: So
2: yeah, I mean, and at the, at the same time, the Denver market began to recover and then it started to boom. And so we were able to seize the opportunity of, um, you know, getting into the Denver market at the right time. Um, and from there we, well, one thing, one major thing that happened is that we started to work on the condo, um, buildings and I think it was about 2013 we did our first major condo building um not nearly as you know strategic about it as we are now we didn't you know we didn't necessarily have um a good plan in place we treated those condos a lot like custom jobs and we learned a lot of lessons by doing that
1: at one point i'd made a conscious decision to stop chasing aspen and telluride business from golden because of the grind And within six months, we landed a you know the first major condo project that had happened in ten years. It had a lot to do with construction defect lawsuits in Denver, and no one one billionaire uh, client, not client, but a person in Denver basically started this project up and self-insured it. He went against the odds, and that started a small little trend of uh, a pretty large scale condo projects. And since we had since we had successfully You know, uh, delivered this first one. We beat out all the big guys. I mean, we talk about fake it till you make it. I mean, it's a classic inflection point in our business. But we rallied. Our team killed it, and we processed around it, and it set a trajectory for us to have that side niche of luxury condo projects. We've since we've since won every subsequent condo project that was relevant. We kind of cornered the market because we we just really focused on it. And uh, so that was, and, and that kind of helped us uh, sustain the larger scale projects, uh, residential projects that we got. So those two things happened in tandem and that really fostered some you know, exponential growth for us. So that was the best decision we ever made to just kind of focus on your backyard, so to speak. and And it was instant gratification, but a, a very impactful and compelling Aspect of our particular story, and so we've never looked back, it's been great. We're still doing those projects today.
0: High level, George. Uh, the pandemic, what's it been like for you guys last 24 months?
1: Unbelievable roller coaster. We went and took the biggest risk we've ever done and bought a 10,000 square foot building 90 days before it started, and we hadn't even moved out of our previous place. I mean, you couldn't have been, you know, it couldn't have been worse timing. You had to have been, I mean, been
0: terrified. Oh, terrified.
1: We were just like, perfect. We bought this building. <laughs> Who knows? We'll probably lose it. It'll be great. <laughs> um, I mean, it was just- Glad well, we
0: can laugh now. It, yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. I mean, it was serious. It was a serious, you know, the the timing was was just terrible. And trying to navigate that was, you know, our team, the resiliency of our team was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was it was tough all over. Um, But our particular story was, you know, an added layer of risk that we didn't anticipate and we powered through it. So the last 24 months have been amazing, but it started off pretty scary Mm -hmm. as well for everybody else. But for us, you know, having just made the biggest single investment in our in our life, 90 days later, we're just like, you know, exactly. Great timing,
2: huh? Yeah. We've always tried to run lean and, you know, be conservative about the risks that we've taken. And so you know, it was a calculated risk. It was, you know, and it's, and it's turned out well, but it was very, very scary, yeah. and especially having, you know, been in business through 08. We anticipated it would be more like that. Um, when things first started, um, we didn't anticipate that people would start to invest all their travel and, you know, disposable income into their homes. So obviously that's been good for our industry. Um, so I would say like 2020 was it was kind of the best of times and, and the, the worst, worst of times, times for exactly. us. I mean, we we won great awards. We had a lot of success in a lot of areas. But then it was, you know, as it was for everybody, just very challenging. We we had
1: it was a very ironic year.
2: We had a COVID outbreak early in our company. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, those are some of the more stressed out days <laughs> I can remember. Um, but you know, we one thing we were very thankful to have um, was the EOS Entrepreneurs Operating System mm-hmm. in place. We had a leadership team that could help us navigate some of those difficult.
1: It made all the difference. I mean, scenarios. without question. Yeah. I
0: mean, let's get our audience introduced to what that is. I, I've talked about it a few times on the show. Uh, we practice it here at One Firefly. We we started practicing uh, EOS uh, back in uh, Q3 of 2019. And uh, I've even had my EOS implementer on the show and interviewed him. Uh, he's he's fantastic. Um, but for those that aren't familiar, uh, what is EOS?
1: It's you know essentially a proven set of uh, simple and practical tools that you know that syncs your team, that helps you establish process. And I'll let you you know you probably more eloquent description than I am. But uh, you know a, a way to get really my opinion is it gives everyone in your company a voice. It helps uh, clarify issues and in a practical uh, way that allows everyone to help solve problems and organize and, uh, you know, row in the right direction. let you add to it, too.
2: Right. I mean, this is basically like an operating system yeah. for your business. And um, it gives you a roadmap, you know, how to have meetings, when to have meetings, who should be involved. Um, there's
1: a cadence to it. There's a predictability to yeah. it. You helps
2: know, helps you get your org chart um, put together and helps you define what your values are, um, start to hire and sometimes fire over core values. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a whole host of things. It's in some respects, it's a little hard to describe, but, um,
0: I think, do you ever think of how you ran the business without it? Oh, I remember it was painful.
2: (laughs) We had a lot of rambling meetings.
0: (laughs) Let's let's pick on meetings. What what was a meeting like before uh, the L ten structure and IDSing? And I'm using some EOS buzzwords. Right. Uh, What was it like before that, and what's it like now?
2: Well, um, for one thing, we we tended to invite everybody to meetings, um, and I think the tendency was to ramble and and go off on a lot of tangents and talk about things and not solve them. So, you know, we'd come away saying, yeah, that was a great chat, but we didn't really solve anything. And if anything, we came away maybe more frustrated and overwhelmed than we'd started.
1: And wasted a lot of other people's time that it wasn't relevant right. because it wasn't delineated topics. And and so inefficient, free for all. That's So what
0: George, I- talk to me about issues and solving issues and maybe the before how would issues that existed present themselves in the organization, and how do they get addressed now?
1: Yeah, it used to be just a general bitch session, and people <laughs> bitching about each other across the table, and heated arguments, and you know, wounded pride, and all the things that come with lack of structure. Um, and EOS is its primary focus is to identify um, and solve issues. And once you start to identify those, so so now, having just recently uh disseminated the level 10 structure into the departmentals uh, it, departmentally you know company wide it is i mean it's transformative it's it's truly amazing people now realize oh i can bring this up as an issue it will be treated with respect it will be you know a democratic process to decide if it's relevant right now and again my my cliche term is it gives everybody a voice everyone feels comfortable and knows that any issue for anybody is fair game, and uh, it's a problem to solve. And when you have that trust in your organization, it changes the game. And you know, I just feel like uh, you know the cadence now is predictable. Everybody knows what to expect. It's efficient. Uh, if you start to get off topic, like I tend to do all the time, someone will throw a tangent flag at you and keep <laughs> you on course. And I'm the worst.
0: Is it a tangent flag, like a physical thing in the office that gets raised?
1: Well, only because we started with Zoom. Otherwise, it would have been, uh, yes, a physical uh, flag. But no, I think it's I think there's consensus. Everyone understands now how it works. And it's just great. I just feel good for having, you know, for us having done it, because I think it just makes everyone feel good about, um, you know, how things get resolved. And there's just there's no more you know, rumors and cattiness and all that stuff that just, it's human nature stuff that you get, you process out, but it's not this big, heavy, burdensome, you know, corporate uh, construct. It's really simple and it's accessible um, to everybody. And I think those things are, that's how you get traction. I hate to use the, you know, the term, but that's exactly how you get traction. You get buy-in. And so it's been fantastic.
0: Casa, should, should a business exist to make money?
2: Yes, <laughs> is that a bad thing or a good no, thing? It's not. And I think it's, um, I mean, I think ideally you want to make money as a business owner, but you don't know how really, imp- or we didn't know how really important it was um, until we started working with vital management mm-hmm. maybe three to four years ago. Um, and they talk about, you know, profit first, uh, about, but, you know organizations should be profitable to be healthy businesses, that you're not doing your employees, your clients, or yourselves any favors by breaking even or right. you know, even losing money. Um so we've we've changed the way that we think about that um significantly. And I will give a little shout out to Vital Management just because they've helped us so much um just understand some of the metrics and what we should be looking at on a regular basis, um, some of those ratios that, you know, we didn't just know starting this business together yeah. years and years ago. And um, one of the things I think we've had a lot of success with is is relying on consultants and experts. We got to a point in our business, and what, that was one of the reasons we started EOS right. as well. So we felt like, oh my goodness, this is outgrowing us. It's, it's becoming something that we don't know how to manage. I don't have an MBA. I don't, you know, I don't have that rigorous business background to just know how things should be. So we've, you know, you have to kind of admit what you don't know and take on some of those consultants and they can be expensive, but we think they're worth it.
1: They are yeah, pay for themselves. And, and, you know, our, our EOS implementer uh, Brad Whitehead is an industry veteran and I can't imagine having anyone else. And so, you know, we, we're very fortunate that we have someone we have someone in place that knows our industry has been there. I mean that is also a kind of a unicorn in that respect and so you know we're so appreciative of uh, the way he's helped advise us as our implementer. I'm not sure I didn't actually catch who your implementer was but we we were just very fortunate to have one that was here local that knows the added benefit of our you know market analysis and has been there before and in, has been in the trenches uh, for better or for worse and it, so it's been it's just been such a transformative and I know you probably feel the same way. I mean, it's game changing. And I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it more highly to anyone out there that may be listening. It's, it's good stuff. It really is.
0: Yeah. I think it's fair to say in, in my experience, if I knew of an implementer in EOS that had a marketing agency focus, I probably would have sought them out. Right. Uh, but I didn't know of that. So I went with, uh, I'm not going to say second best cause I love my implementer. Of course. Um, but I, I went with someone that I've known for 11 years that has been doing this and helping other businesses. And uh, and he's he's been, I'd say it's fair, you use the word transformational. It's been transformational for, for our business. Uh, I think there are potentially plenty of good business coaches out there. And I'm not to say that traction is the answer for everyone. Right. But it does provide structure. When, like you said, I i mean, I'm an engineer by education. Right. I'm not an MBA. I didn't go to school for business. I've mostly made it up as I've went. And uh, and so getting some structure, I can read a rule book though. That's right. And I can follow instructions and I can, you know, I'd like to think I can anyway. So I, I think for that business owner operator, it, it is quite helpful. I'm going to go, uh, Cassia, what, what has been one of the hardest things for you personally, maybe hardest, but transformational for you in terms of, of the EOS kind of life or, or following those systems?
2: Well, what we uncovered is that I have a really hard time letting go of.
1: We um... <laughs> found one weakness. It took us two years to find one weakness. What
0: what our listeners don't see, I know those watching the video see this, but George is patting Kessa (laughs) telling her it's going to be okay.
2: Um, I had to learn to delegate and to let go of things that, um, you know, are not the best use of my time, even if I think that I will do them better than everybody else, (laughs) which is not true by the way, because one of the main things I let go is the day-to-day bookkeeping and, and, our our bookkeeper now is rock star fantastic and she does a better job than, than I have ever done. It's so scary
0: that, though to let go. It's scary it to delegate.
1: Yep. Yeah. It is. It really is. Because you've never had you, you don't know what that is, fear of the unknown. Yeah.
2: But at our annual meeting that we have, our you know, our leadership team asked me to delegate. They said the one thing you can do to help the business this year is to delegate. And so I am doing my best. I'm trying, (laughs) but I have really, I have opened up a lot of other time, a lot more energy for other things. And one of the things that, um, we've finally been able to do is a really comprehensive marketing, um, strategy plan with the help of awesome one firefly. Um, and, but you know, we, we knew you guys were out there, but honestly it was like, we didn't have we didn't have anybody that could focus on it. And so for us,
1: unsolicited shout out. I mean, it's been pretty amazing to watch you guys operate. And I sought out just a quick point, just to validate this. I, you know, we hung on to the previous uh, situation we had, but I sought out some other uh, industry veterans that said, you need to think about this in a different way and understand how efficient and the process that they use works. And I, you know, I was a little apprehensive until uh, we got into it and absolutely amazing um how you guys roll and how your organization works. I mean, it's been it's impressive. I just wanna again, unsolicited shout out, but it's been so impactful for us as well. That's another big thing. And if had Casa not been freed up to open up and, and start to look and realize that, I mean, it's been a great Another another unintended consequence of EOS was was, I, was the relationship that we've had, and so I just want to say I appreciate
0: it. Uh, no, it, likewise, I appreciate you guys, George. You you officially get to call yourself my longest sales cycle in company I history. love it.
1: The fun, <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought it up. I'll never forget <laughs> it. Well, there was one point ten years ago. You're like George. Are you ever going to buy anything for me ever? And I said,
2: John, here I am. <laughs>
0: I, I you you <laughs> were telling me off camera that you I didn't even remember this, but you were telling me that you remember meeting with Doug and I at CEDIA 2008. That's right. And I'm hallway. just gonna I'm gonna share on my screen because I I actually have a picture of this. I love it. I couldn't believe
1: that you had evidence.
0: I had evidence. So why don't why don't you describe to our? It's small on the screen. I know. <laughs> But why don't you describe to our audience what, what is uh what's on the screen?
1: Yeah. So way back before you you were still working for I forget exactly which company it was, but you were about to launch and you and me and Doug Dodd sat in the hallway of Cedia, in two thousand seven or eight, Indian style, as you pitched this concept that you were about to unveil. And I was like, wow, I wish I was advanced enough to be able to leverage what you're doing, but I was not quite there yet, but it was fascinating, and I vividly remember that as, boy, someday when we grow up, we're going to be able to work with these guys because they're doing really good work, and I just thought it was so funny that I forget when I heard it, either in one of your other podcasts or discussion, that you still have that picture. I thought I might be in it because I didn't realize you had a few others, but I love the story. Uh, it's, it's a testament to your tenacity. And we're just so glad that we've known you for as as long as we've had. It's just, it's, it's a great story. And so again, so impressed and to have just gone through the experience validates uh, you're doing good work and you've been doing it for a while. So I, I I love that there is a picture of it to prove it.
0: (laughs) Things happen at the right time. I'm glad you hired me. In the last year or two, and and not uh, thirteen years ago, because maybe the experience would not have been the same. It would not have been the I same. Mean, <laughs>
1: everything happens for a reason, and they tend to happen when they need to. And this is a, a perfect example of that. So thanks for uh you know for sticking with us. No, <laughs> no, like, likewise, and I appreciate
0: the kind words, uh, George. I'm going to pass the same question back to you. Uh, what what has been one of the biggest transformations for you personally? In kind of instituting this eOS traction system this set of operating system procedures for your business that have maybe caused you to to reassess what you do and why you do what you do
1: yeah just having um, predictability and 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 really focusing on you know KPIs and understanding you know having the data portion of the eOS meeting um, and I also want to give a shout out to our operations manager. I think I was uh, meant you know, mentioning um, we found a you know, we had a recruiter that brought us someone out of the blue. We never worked with this recruiter before, but we met a gentleman, um, Michael MacArthur, who'd worked in Texas, and we got this resume. and not only um, was he an implementer for another eOS company, we were considering iPoint at that point, he had that. He helped someone. Another company in Texas transitioned from DTools to iPoint, which is a hard decision. Um, And he also had experience with Vital. And so it was a total unicorn of a resume, you know, a trifecta. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, that's our guy. We need that guy to help us, you know, potentially uh, implement, uh, you know, EOS. We had already started down the path and um, iPoint. And, you know, also that familiarity with Steve First and his process, that, Really helped, and when we when he came on board over a year ago, not only had we felt good about the decision about EOS, but Michael and, his, and all his wisdom and experience helped guide me through the path and helped me let go of the vine. And otherwise, I, it, the catalyst wouldn't have been there. So it was a perfect storm of opportunity that happens to be our story. But he helped kind of, you know, he helped me understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. This will be worthwhile, and it absolutely was. And so now fast forward, I'm freed up to do the things I need to do. I now have a sales team. Um, I feel more connected to our team and we have a leadership team that has been persistent and makes great decisions. It's just been, you know, most, most companies are run by an owner operator. That's it's, you know, it's my way or the highway, kind of a dictatorship. And I, you know, I know I had those tendencies to be a little bit OCD and control freak. You can laugh. You can
0: laugh. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, oh,
1: she's looking at the camera. Oh yeah. yeah, that's, know, yeah that's
0: true. <laughs> um,
1: it's been great. It's really helped me develop professionally. It's helped me uh, become a better leader. And I feel now a, a sincere and genuine sense of gratitude to our team and obligation to do my best work to make their work environment as good as it can be because they do such great work. We are such a cohesive team now. I mean, it's it, it, you can't even compare where we are as a company now to where we were just a few years ago. And we re- I personally attribute a lot of it to EOS but you know, and our team. And I just feel better every day going to work because of it, because I feel like we're, we are all rowing in the same direction. There's that sense of respect. Everybody has a voice, and that's so important. And it's just you can see how your uh, culture is affected by it in a positive way. You know, so it's been great. I hope that answered
0: your. Problem. No, no, it's great. How do you uh, to, to call the the elephant in the room? You know, bus- running a business is stressful.
2: Yeah,
0: and uh, oftentimes it can be challenging for any of us, all of us listening, to not. It can be challenging to not take the stress from the day, and bring it home. And here you guys are, a husband and wife dynamic duo you know, front of house and back of house running a very successful, growing, award-winning business. How do you guys think about uh, and what actions do you take to make that work? Because I, I'm just guessing that that's probably hard.
2: Oh, it's easy and it's perfect. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, is, it is hard. It's, it's challenging. Um, and, you know, when, when you put kids on top of that, Right. Um, you know, you're you're married, you're co-parenting, you're running this business. It's like a lot to ask of one person in your life. You know, you have to be a lot of things. Um, I think one of the things that's helped us is having, you know, pretty delineated roles, and we always have. I have never tried to be a front person, a salesperson. Um, you know, from the time we were small. We've right. we've taken on different roles and now they're even more well delineated and defined. Um, I think also EOS, <laughs> helps EOS with that. Helped that. of course. Um, and I think, you know, at home, I think, you know, getting the, the roles at home kind of straight and that sounds, I don't know, maybe a little like archaic, but at the same time, it helps us to know that I'm, you know, I'm kind of going to be the lead parent and he's going to be the lead at Harrison Home Systems. He's going to go to the late night networking event and I'm going to, Pick up from school, whatever, whatever it is. My, my wife is very clear in our household. I'm the CEO of One Firefly, and she's CEO
0: of the Callus household. Got that right. right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it works. Yeah, it works for us exactly.
1: <laughs> no, I joke with everyone that Casa is the brains, and I'm the mouth, and so those two <laughs> things can, you know, it, it works. It works well. I think that we have some, you know, some ground rules. Clearly, I tend to be the you know, the one that probably wants to talk about business 24 hours a day because I love it. I'm passionate about it. It's not always the right place in the right time. And our kids laugh, you know, at us as well. And we used to joke about having this safe word that we would this goofy word we came up with when one of us was was mad. <laughs> and then our, and so that way we just stopped the conversation years ago. And our kids started using it on our behalf <laughs> at the dinner table.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, what is it? What
1: is it? Uh, we, will never, we will never reveal it.
0: We'll never. Oh, so you have a oh, secret no. family oh, no. code word. <laughs> that's right.
1: That's right. Just the Harrison family secret.
2: But now I would say, we could say, you know, you could add that to the issues list right. and we'll discuss it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Do you have a families? Do you, do you follow L10s for the family? No, maybe we no, should. Maybe we should. <laughs> maybe we should.
1: Interesting. That's a good idea, right?
0: That a is a good idea. idea. Maybe yeah. I'm onto something there.
1: Right. But <laughs> all right, so, it's hard.
0: No, that's awesome. So I'm I'm mindful of time, and uh, I want to try to make sure we we get you guys and our audience out of here at an hour. So we got about ten minutes or so. I want to talk a little bit about uh, technology and brands and industry trends. And uh, I I think that I know you guys are pretty big Lutron dealers, and you've had a lot of success with Lutron. Yeah. And so if if you guys could talk maybe a little bit about um, I'll be very specific uh, the Ketra business. And the, the circadian rhythm lighting and what are you guys seeing there? Are you seeing demand for that? And and kind of what is the IP addressable or smart fixture um, business look like for you guys? As Because uh, I know that there may be many listening that haven't gone there yet, whether it's with Lutron or another brand, but it seems that it's coming at our industry from all directions. I mean, smart fixture seems to be I, I think it's gonna stick. It, at least that's yeah. the, what I'm feeling. You know, versus 3D TVs, they didn't right. exactly stick. And will wellness stick? I don't know. Right. But yeah. tunable lighting is part of wellness, so maybe it will stick.
1: No, that's exactly right. Um, so I've spoken a lot in the last year on panels uh, about fixtures because we jumped in a little a little ahead of the curve, thanks to HTSA specifically, thanks to Tom Doherty in particular and the work he's done, and you know. I I am partial. I didn't want to talk brands, but since you brought it up, Lutron and what they're doing and what they just did recently is will be a big inflection point, just like they did with Shades 20 years ago. They basically are betting on the integrator to lead the way in the fixture category in the future and have made some very specific moves to supplement their already huge move in acquiring Ketra. I mean, I, I don't know if people realize how impactful the decisions that Lutron has made. And again, you know, we're biased, but at the same time, I think it's the best uh, way forward. And I think it's a justified way forward. I think we're we're fundamentally we're typically tasked to control, you know, provide control systems. And fixtures um, are a big part of that. And if we don't have a seat at the table to help guide that discussion and present a quality control package from from you know from beginning to end. It's chaos. And I feel like the work that has been done to open up the eyes of the major fixture manufacturers that the AV guys are best positioned, and I think very much appropriately so, to lead the way forward, um, I think it's a missed opportunity. And we're all in. Um, the pandemic slowed down our showroom design and there's a silver lining to everything. The announcement that Lutron made with intelligent lighting and addressable fixtures changed the entire trajectory on how we designed our showroom, because Mm -hmm. that's what's up. That's where it's going. And it's a disruptive phase in this part of the industry right now. So it's going to take a little while, I think, for things to settle out, for people to realize that um, I think the CI channel is the right channel to move forward and to bring in this new era of intelligent lighting and Ketra in particular, I couldn't be more excited about it. And I think the industry shares that excitement and it's real, it's tangible and it will change our business models. I think fixture, the ratio of fixtures to AV, those budgets will rival each other moving forward. We've already seen what shades have done. Fixtures is going to dwarf what shades did for our industry by a factor of 10, in my opinion. And we're completely committed to it. We appreciate the hard work that our industry has done and the way in which it's, it's moving forward. I've never been more excited and it's real. And so, um, we're very much pushing the envelope as as fast as we can. I think Ketra is amazing. Um, and you know, and the whole industry at a whole, I just, I'm excited about that. I hope,
0: I hope. no, yeah, that's great. Kasa. can you talk to numbers and cents? You can be high level. You don't have to be specific. But why should businesses consider being in this category from a, a, either a, a top line retail kind of percentage of the proposal? And then what is what is bottom line look like? You know, gross margins and profitability of the category. Anything you want to share from a kind of a back office standpoint You have opinions there?
2: Well, I'm gonna leave it real high level because I don't I don't have the the data worked out. But I think in in general, I think you know when we added lighting control and shades as a big focus for our business back in whatever that was, oh eight, oh nine, all of a sudden our you know fifty thousand dollar control jobs went to a hundred thousand dollars because we were adding those categories. And so I think what we're seeing now. Um, you know, even just in 2019, the home of the year was, you know, that was like a $750,000 system or so. And we're doing something very comparable right now, but it's over a million because we're doing all the fixtures in the house and it's-
1: Significant it's, Ketra project. Right. It's a, you know, it's a seven figure job. And a lot of that is the fixtures. I mean, it's a big, it's a big fixture it's and lighting control job and it's, a, it's amazing and it's real. And it's, a, it's a big, it's, it's impacting our bottom, bottom line successively more so it's
0: the same job that five years ago would have been a 750 job now it's over a million because you've simply added a new category to that same project precisely
2: we've been told by the builder we're the largest subcontractor on the job yeah um so i mean it's 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 kind of clear to me that when you widen your net a little bit your opportunity is going to go way up and i think you know for anybody who hasn't Gotten into the lighting fixture portion. I mean, there's a learning curve. I think that it, that just like just like shades when we started out. I mean, boy,
0: it was painful in the, the beginning. Sh-
2: the shave graveyard, the graveyard of shades. Miscalculated, <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: mismeasured <laughs> oh shades. Yes, are good. you giving away mismeasured shades for birthday presents to your <laughs> family oh members? No, that's a, that's actually trying
2: to them off.
0: I I've, I've <laughs> I was in Texas a, a month ago, and I was in a warehouse, and there was the graveyard of mismeasured shades there's a whole wall of them from floor to ceiling i was like what happens to them they're like we don't know (laughs) (laughs) they just keep piling up and and lighting is even more um complicated and
1: you have more potential for disaster but you have to get your entire team committed to it. It's from back of house to front of house. It, it's, it is a initiative. It's not just a random, let's try this. I mean, you have to really buckle down. It has to be company wide. And, and we've done that and we've learned a lot from these projects and, and we're geared to do this more. Uh, but I'm, I have no regrets uh, at all. It's been one of the most exciting things that's happened in a long time. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of potential for a lot of people uh, moving forward. So um, it's good stuff.
0: That no, that's awesome. cassa, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm gonna pose this is a self-serving question. So this is everyone's uh, flag to turn off the podcast now uh, or not if you really wanna listen. But uh Cassa, uh, you do you guys are good clients of one Firefly, and we love working with you. But it works so well because we have you as an inside, uh, I'll call it liaison for our team, right? So you work with an account manager at One Firefly and you're liaising with us. How does that work? Can you just describe the mechanics of how um, you acting as the point person for an eight, whether it's one Firefly or someone hires another agency, just why you, I would say, I would challenge that it makes it better when there's actually someone inside the organization to work with and that owns it versus it being the, you know, whoever the owner is or the CEO and they're, they've hired that person, but there's really no person inside of the company to liaise with.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think I used to be on the other side in a different, you know, a slightly different function, but in in the PR world. Um, so I, I worked at an agency, and I understand what it, you know, what it means to have a client who's responsive, who um, is insightful, and can can help um, the agency take its you know strengths and talents and customize it to the business. Um, but I think you know, I don't want to say that in order to be successful with one Firefly, you have to have this background because I don't think that you do. I think, um, you have to be invested. I think you have to, you have to know that it's not something that you guys can swoop in and, and make something really custom, um, with no feedback. So I think that's like part of being a good part of being a good client is giving feedback and, and helping whoever you've hired, you know, to get what you want. Um, so I don't know if that answers. No, no,
0: I think that's great. There's a great analogy to a customer. If you guys have a customer and if they participate the end product, I'm imagining probably is better than if Absolutely. they don't. Participate.
1: Absolutely. But your processes and the way in which you've fine tuned it, I mean I never expected the experience that we got on the onset and that was the pleasant surprise. And so, um,
2: I, I want to say that, you know, working with an agency that's focused on our industry is, is so awesome, right. because we've had some consultants in the past and everything and not to take anything away from them. But if we work on, we work in a very niche industry. And it's very difficult, I think, for people to understand unless they've had, Contest. you know, real experience in our industry, first of all, what we do. And who we market to, and so it just was very refreshing to work with your team because you understand it on a very high level, and you know some of the the um, the things that you have in place that you can just kind of pick from, and then we did a lot of customization. But I know that not all your clients do, and you still turn out a really good product. Yep.
0: I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna close on this one last point you guys have been doing a fantastic job of photographing your projects and whenever you have beautiful photography it makes your marketing better and i uh as the the ceo and founder of one firefly i don't always get that and in fact i'm going to say i typically don't get that (laughs) to work with but you guys are doing that uh maybe could you guys close on um, your thoughts of why do you do that or why have you started doing that? Because it it really makes such a superlative difference in your brand presentation to the world.
2: Sure. I mean, I think that we um, have been strategic in partnering with whoever is doing the main photography in the home. Um, so we have not, you know, photography is very expensive, especially yeah. for, you know, a, a smaller company. Um, so we have... We have found out who's doing, you know, whether that's the architect or the builder or the designer, who's doing shots for the home and, and offer to split the cost, yeah, show up on site, idea. make sure we get some shots that are relevant to what we've done. Because, you know, sometimes sometimes our work is
1: <laughs> airbrushed out, off, airbrushed often, out, but, you know, often. the
2: outlets, the speakers, anything like that in magazines, there's a reason why you don't see them because they take them out. Yeah. so So,
1: um it takes work i'll tell you you know photo shoots are a pain in the butt and they have to happen at night and it's a grind and it's like herding cats and the interior designer wants something the builder wants something different than we want um so you you know you have to earn that and it takes it's a process but you know the end result it helps your clients feel like they you understand you know if you're in the luxury home game um they want to know that you've got legitimate experience and that's how you you know, one way to present that, I think.
0: George, have you started getting feedback from your customers or prospects that they they're seeing this content in your on your website and in your marketing? Are they? Yes. Commenting.
1: Yes, and our peers and our colleagues, um, the unsolicited uh, compliments, because we had a great site before, but you know this has really elevated our game. This is, I think, uh, more appropriate with to the the level we're we're at these days, and so. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasant surprise on that side of it too. So some validation. It was worth the effort.
0: Awesome. Well, we're gonna close on that. Uh your website URL that I have pulled up on the screen for those that are listening and not watching is hhsusa.com. com. So that's a a nice short six-letter URL. Don't see right. too many yeah. of
1: those. .com will get you there as well. We, we abbreviated that a few years ago. It's a lot. To yeah.
2: Uh,
0: well, yeah. Hey, HHS That's impressive. Six-letter URLs aren't that common. Um, but for those that are listening that want to get in touch with you guys directly, uh, George, I'll start with you. What is the best uh, method that you'd have people if they want to speak to you directly or learn more about your business?
1: Yeah, that abbreviated URL. So it's George at HHSUSA.com. and then Casa is
2: Casa is K A S S A at hhs. you pronounced it right. No <laughs> one
1: gets Casa right, by the way, Ron. Nice work.
0: Well, I I don't get full credit because I was pronouncing it wrong at the beginning of this podcast. If we rewind, I said Casa. <laughs> Did
1: Tory text you? And,
0: no, I heard you refer to your wife properly, and then I was like, all right, I'm not going to be the dumb dumb and not pay attention to that. States. So now I, I've, I said CASA. So. It's
2: okay. one of those things that, you know, <laughs> it's been part of my life, the whole my whole life. So I don't really think much of it.
1: <laughs> before we finish, I will finish. Congratulations on this. You earned it very well. Uh, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> great article too.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that. I, yeah. I thought I needed more gray hair to be nominated uh, for that. <laughs> I promise I don't dye my hair, but I guess there's maybe enough gray gray that qualifies me yeah, there quick. And uh, yeah, it was a tremendous honor. Certainly sou- proud to have been nominated and That's to awesome. have won. And that was, that was pretty neat.
1: Yep. And warranted. Oh,
0: thank it. thank you very kindly. Well, I appreciate you both. Uh, it was awesome to have you on show one ninety seven of automation unplugged. And uh, if I, Don't speak to you before. I want you guys to have a a wonderful holiday season.
1: Same to you and your family. Thanks so much for having us. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Thanks so
0: much, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There, you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at OneFirefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.